0: Welcome to Into Security, Infosecurity Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights, topical debate, and exclusive interviews from the information and cybersecurity world. Welcome to this December edition and the last episode of 2022 of the Into Security podcast. I'm your host, Beth Mondrell, editor here at Info Security Magazine, and today I'm joined by our deputy editor, James Coker, and news reporter, Kevin Poirot. So hi, guys. Thanks for joining me for the last episode of the year.
1: Hi, Beth. Hi, Beth. Great to be here. Yeah, I can't believe it's the uh, the final one of the year.
0: I know, it comes around so quickly. Thanks guys for joining me. And this episode promises to be another information-packed podcast as we reflect on the year that was 2022. Before we dive in, a quick note from our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Jamf. Jamf helps over 69,000 organisations worldwide to manage and secure their Apple technology at work. With trusted access, Jamf enables device management, user identity and endpoint protection in one complete solution. We've got a lot to pack into this episode of the podcast and we'll be hearing from two industry specialists who will provide some insights into the top trends in cybersecurity that we've identified over the course of this year. So we'll hear from our sponsor Jamf and Aaron Webb, who is the senior product marketing manager for security there. He'll give his views on the threat landscape and what businesses can do to prepare for 2023. And later, James speaks to Larry Whiteside Jr, a CISO and co-founder of Cyversity about some of the developments he's seen in cybersecurity. And he'll be touching on some of the elements of the cybersecurity skills gap and how that's evolved over the past 12 months. But before we get to our excellent guests, I wanted to ask our team, Kevin and James here about some of the biggest stories and trends they've identified while covering cybersecurity issues here at Infosecurity magazine. So, Kevin, I know you recently left Infosec HQ to find out more from Orange Cyber Defence about a report they recently released looking at the 2022 landscape. So what did you find out while you were there?
2: Yeah, yeah, indeed. I I left you guys to to come back to my uh, native country. I went to Lyon this month in France. Uh, it was the launch of Orange Cyber Defense's latest security navigator. It's their annual report on on the threat landscape. It's a 64-page document that is uh, every year that is put together by the Security Research Center. And this year, the report comes with a relative good news. The good news is, and wait for it, probably not going to sound as good news to you but the cyber incidents in 2022 increased by 5%.
0: Just hang on. So why is this good news? Like a 5% increase we're still seeing an increase.
2: Yeah, yeah, it it does sound like bad news, doesn't it? But um last year's report in last year's report the cyber attacks or the cyber incidents that the team identified were up 13%. So this is this is still growth. This is still growing, but this is growing a bit slower, which uh, which let's 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 say it's is good news because we want good news around Christmas, don't we? And yeah, <laughs> in, in other findings, the reports show the usual suspects, I'd say uh, phishing is still the number one vector of compromise. Malware is still the leading attack tool and the manufacturing industry continues to be the most impacted sector. According to Charles van der Waal, head of security research at Orange Cyber Defense, who's based in Cape Town, South Africa. I met him in London a few days ago. Uh, this later data point, uh, the manufacturing industry continuing to be the most impacted sector, is quite worrying because manufacturing is, is actually a relatively small industry. For For example, he told me that the number two, which was the information services industry, Uh, was the number two biggest industry impacted by cyber incidents, but it's also the number two biggest industry. So the fact that manufacturing comes as first is quite worrying for for industrial companies. But Charles van der Vaart gave me some nuances to these findings. He told me that manufacturing businesses are also the ones that pay ransoms very rarely, which means that incidents targeting them get more frequent spotlight than others who stay sometimes stay behind closed doors. Another very interesting finding is the geographic shift in cyber extortion victims towards the East. The security navigator shows a decrease of 8% in US victims and 32% in victims in Canada. China on the other end saw the victims surge with a rise of 182%. Van der Waard says that large English-speaking economies have nearly always been the prime targets, thinks this shift is happening partly because North American and European businesses are getting better in preventing attacks and protecting themselves. So I guess I, I, I come this week with uh, with two good news.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's good to see. I don't know if it is good news. I mean, the attacks, um, as you said earlier on, are still increasing, but the increase has just somewhat slowed. And it's interesting you say that there's a shift in the victims of cyber extortion, because obviously what Orange are presenting is just their findings from their customer base, their client base, um, and the research they've done. But anecdotally, um, CISOs I've been speaking to, especially global organisations, are also noticing that there's a shift in the target regions. um, And they're saying, especially towards um, South America. So it's clear that what we're seeing is cyber attacks are still happening. But as you said, if English speaking economies, North American, European businesses are getting better, the attackers are just gonna shift. They're gonna Mm -hmm. pivot. So especially for global orgs that have multiple offices and stuff, they need to make sure that they are on top of what their entire organization Is doing. And you mentioned um, manufacturing, and we know that has been a top target sector for a while. And we're starting to hear some stuff about the IT, OT kind of overlap. James, I know you've been looking into this a bit. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, f- I found it really interesting to hear those those figures Kevin described around uh, how how heavily targeted the manufacturing sector is, as it's it's a bit of a theme really this year. I, f- I think we've been seeing one of our reporters, Phil Munkaster, covered this issue in a feature article in our in our Q3 edition of our print magazine uh, this year. And as you said, Beth, it, a lot of it seems to boil down to manufacturing increasingly adopting new technologies, um, particularly industrial IoT and also the OT it convergence um which is kind of making them more vulnerable to vulnerable to attacks and um yeah having their systems shut down which which obviously makes them a big target for ransomware extortions um but it was also good to hear from what Kevin was saying that they uh actually less likely to pay those extortions than, than other industries. I think manufacturing companies are really going to have to adapt their cyber security strategies to, to this new reality and the, and the technologies that, that they're using.
0: Yeah, I think the convergence of OT and IT is something we're going to continue to see um, as we head into 2023. So thanks, Kevin. Um, I'm glad to see you got a lot out of that trip. And for our listeners, um, you can read Kevin's reporting on his um, visit to Orange Cyber Defence, um, and at, at the Infosecurity Magazine website, or keep up to date by following us on Twitter. Um, now, James, over to you. I know you want to highlight some of the biggest talking points of the year.
1: I think our, our regular viewers will know that, like a lot of our content. Has, has revolved around the the Russian conflict with Russia's conflict with Ukraine this year um, and obviously this has been referred to a lot of the time as the world's first hybrid war with uh, experts kind of identifying the, the lot of cyber operations that are going sort of side by side with conventional warfare. Uh, so it's really important to stress that cyber attacks are never going to cause the same type of damage that conventional weapons are going to, are going to cause, like bullets and shells. Um, it's sometimes it is seen in that way, but I think in reality, it's uh, the damage caused isn't isn't comparable. Um, but nevertheless, cyber attacks can and are posing a massive threat to critical services like electricity and water, and especially when it's perpetrated by sophisticated nation state groups, as as we're seeing with, with Russia. So some of the trends we've seen in regard to the Russian invasion uh, and cyber attacks, so they were started off with a lot of Viper malware attacks, uh, which targeted the Ukrainian government and critical services. And attacks have kind of continued this year, and there's been a lot of targeting of critical infrastructure, as we've seen, uh, such as energy and telecoms communications and there's a lot been obviously a lot of less sophisticated methods used as well no? probably designed to be more psychological in nature. And these include DDoS attacks and and website defacements uh, that have been quite frequent. It's also been interesting to note that some of these cyber attacks uh, on Ukraine have spilt over into other other countries and regions. The most prominent example of this is the attack on the uh, communications company Viasat, uh, which led to internet outages across other parts of Europe. And Western intelligence sort of pinpointed that attack on, on Russian state actors. Western intelligence agencies, such as the UK's NCSC and the CISO in the US, have, have also consistently warned organisations in in their own countries about the risk of Russian attacks in kind of in retaliation for their government support of Ukraine during the conflict. But I suppose one encouraging aspect of of cyber warfare in this in this terrible conflict has been the the sort of impressive cyber resiliency shown by the Ukrainian government and critical services to this barrage of attacks. They've they've been shown to be able to resist most most attacks, even kind of sophisticated malware that's being used, and also crucially recovering quickly when when their defences are breached. And it's fair to say these abilities are kind of being hardened and developed over years of being targeted by Russian-backed actors. Uh, for example, we've seen electricity. Um, take supplies taken down in Ukraine um, in 2016 and 17. And yeah, their, their approach has really been praised by organizations such as the NCSC and, and Microsoft as well. And probably all organizations can take some lessons from that. And it's one final thing to note is that it's cyber attacks have certainly not all been one way traffic really. Um, and we kind of saw at the start of a conflict Really, almost an army of individual hackers and, and groups kind of quickly jumped to Ukraine's uh, defense at the start of the war. And they targeted the Russian government, sort of taking down websites, sometimes even taking over Russian TV channels briefly with genuine news about about the conflict. Um, and... One prominent example was the hacktivist group Anonymous, who declared cyber war against Russia at the start of the conflict. And I think that was our most read story of the year, which is interesting. Um, so, yeah, wh- whatever you kind of feel about the rights and wrongs of those organisations and individuals attacking Russia in this way, it is a big ethical dilemma and debate, really, because there's there's obviously a lot of issues that that this raises and, uh, and potential blowback and concerns so uh, yeah something we'll be keeping an eye on into next year as well
0: well thanks james for that that's um, kind of like a whistle stop tour of what's been going on in that area this year and it's certainly something that um, is going to continue to develop into 2023, no doubt. And I think it's just an ongoing call for organisation to bolster their cyber defences, because you just don't know how Russian backed or any nation state backed actor is going to um, evolve in the future. As you said, it has been the story you mentioned about Anonymous, the hacktivist group. It was indeed our top red story of 2023 and the conflict surrounding um, Russia and Ukraine and the cyber fallout from that has taken the top spot for three of our most read stories. So it's definitely something people are really interested in staying on top of. But thank you guys for highlighting some of your uh, recent findings and those two points, especially the last one, kind of leads us nicely on to some of what I spoke about with Aaron Webb at Jamf as we started off by touching on the issue of nation state actors and their prevalence in 2022. I'm pleased to be joined by Aaron Webb, who is the senior product marketing manager for security at Jamf to discuss some of the trends and challenges cybersecurity professionals are facing now and will be in the future. So there's a lot to cover, um, but I think first it's beneficial to talk about some of the threat actors and vectors we've seen and how they're continuing to evolve. And we've kicked off this podcast by discussing the huge rise in nation state actors. So how do you see the threat from nation state actors evolving in 2023? And what should organisations be considering when faced with this threat?
3: Thank you for having me on the podcast, Beth. So the threats from nation state actors will continue to evolve in 2023 for a variety of reasons. We're likely to see an increased number of thefts of cryptocurrency to fund their cyber crime activity and other activities. But more importantly, I was reading that in 2023, more than 70 countries are due to hold governmental elections. That's a key indicator to confidently predict the trend in more sophisticated attacks. And these events that are a frequent target for attack by hostile foreign interests as well as hacking and cyber attacks on infrastructure as well. So we'd like to see an increase in disinformation uh, campaigns on social media, which is a tactic that's often used to influence the results in favour of political parties whose victories would benefit the government of that hostile state. And of course, Beth, cyber warfare will undoubtedly continue to form a key um, element in armed conflict. I was reading a report on the uh, Russia-Ukrainian war and that the digital uh, is as important as part of the war, as is the fighting on the ground. But the most important takeaways for organisations is that they can expect more sophisticated attacks and they should um, be looking to ensure that firstly, they have the right solutions in place. And to follow that, they've operationalized their security tooling to effectively monitor for threats and hunt for incidents. That's key. 2023 is definitely going to be the year of the sim and becoming more mature in your cybersecurity approach. Every company is different. Every company is on a different journey of different sizes with various experience and security knowledge and, of course, various budgets. But there are tools out there, the right tools, to help mitigate the threats.
0: Great. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of talk about the increased sophistication of attacks. So it certainly fits in with what we've been covering here at Info Security Magazine. And another thing that we've been covering, and we spoke about on a podcast previously, is the threat from insider threats. What do you think businesses should be taking into account regarding this as we look to the next 12 months?
3: Insider threats are always a problem. Organizations to take this into account and ensure that they maintain a solid lock over their most critical applications. Only authorize users on enrolled devices that are free of threat. Uh, an approach that we double down on at jump through our trusted access uh, model. Insider threats can't be eliminated because many of those actors are authorised to access sensitive data, but having the right management and security tools in place will allow you to control transfer of information, for example, DLP on your BYOD devices, and maintain white functions if or when uh, anomalies are detected to keep your most critical data protected. As I mentioned, threats cannot be eliminated, but it's the protection that you put in place how you react and the speed in which you can deal with them, which is most important.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned like this threat cannot be completely eliminated. But of course, there's a lot that businesses can do to mitigate the impact. I guess speaking of threats that cannot be completely eliminated, it wouldn't be a predictions interview if we didn't mention ransomware. So what are you seeing in this area? And again, like how can businesses act?
3: Yes, Beth. Across the board, we're seeing more sophisticated ransomware attacks. My advice is to make sure that the basics are being done, uh, like run backups, but to focus on the more sophisticated elements. Most importantly, to make sure targeted industries like underfunded healthcare institutions, education, both K-12 for primary schools and higher education, universities and colleges But local governments and critical infrastructure providers like energy grid maintainers are performing basic hygiene checks, maintaining their secure baseline, and that they have a plan in place to respond to an incident when it happens. At Jamf, we're uniquely positioned to bring together the best of device management user identity and endpoint protection to deliver trusted access which enables organizations to ensure that only authorized users on enrolled and secure devices can connect to business data and applications and all that is key it's not only how they all work together but how they form a continuous loop to deter detect and then remediate any threats and that's why we advocate for ensuring that the best tools are used for specific devices that you have you need to capture those threats and you need to make sure that action is taken quickly and effectively should there be a breach. Also, don't pay ransom. Many do pay, and that's a decision only an organisation can make and your cyber insurance provider. But many schools that I've worked with um, who have been affected by ransomware often think that they need to pay to get their data or server reinstated. But that's public money, money taken from schools, um, from students, from our future generation of workers and leaders. But that's just happening uh, not only in education, but happening across all verticals. A recent federal report from the US Treasury Department's of Financial Crimes Enforcement Network states that US banks and financial institutions processed roughly $1.2 billion in likely ransomware payments in 2021. It also highlights that there were 1,489 ransomware incidents costing that $1.2 billion last year, but that's a substantial rise from $416 million of damages recorded in 2020. So according to that report, I think that trajectory would continue um, as we get the figures for 2022 and head into 2023. Really the mindset needs to shift to be proactive and put measures in place. The cost of ensuring the right systems and procedures and training that are implemented is a lot less costly than the ransomware uh, demands from a breach.
0: And finally, we are kind of entering a period of economic uncertainty. What would be your advice to businesses as they consider their budgets for next year and how to maintain cybersecurity in a challenging economic environment?
3: My advice would be to build a security-aware culture within your organisation. Focus on end-user enablement and keeping people productive. And there's two lanes to that. There's the training and the awareness um, of cybersecurity issues that come from all departments. It's not just IT. Uh, Today, it's no longer good enough for employers and employees to simply think that cybersecurity is an issue of the IT department to take care of on their own. There needs to be a cultural shift, a change in mindset for the modern workplace. You can't eliminate those threats, but you can put layers of protection in your workforce and and your your workers and your people who interact with your organization is one of those lines of defense so educating them is um is super important then of course there is the part it needs to focus on firstly i'd say my advice is to actually implement trusted access programs and just stop strategically planning zero trust initiatives put measures into place today with the basic security skills like uh, safe use of passwords and two-factor authentication But really, it's to make sure that you verify every user and validate every device. And that's things that you can start to do today. Uh, With that, ensure that you invest in the right solutions that are right for the platforms and ownership models that you've selected. So, for example, if you allow BYOD, make sure you have a BYOD solution in place. Are those devices managed? If they are managed, are they secure? What about those shadow devices accessing your business applications and data with just a password? How are you addressing those? I'll also say along the same line, if you have Apple devices in your organization, ensure that you have a solution in place that is made for Apple. This will help you better defend against sophisticated attacks and ensure you have sight of all of your users and all of your devices accessing your business applications and data, regardless of where they're working. Uh, With the right device management, user identity and endpoint protection, organisations can create a great hybrid work experience for the modern workplace that users love while creating a secure workplace that organisations can trust. And if we keep that in mind, we'll all be able to be in a much better position for the future.
0: Yeah, I think so many people are going to be considering how they can be in that better position for the future. So some great advice there, especially about it being all about the culture. But with that, thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us on the podcast today.
3: Thank you for having me on the podcast, Beth. It's been great speaking to you. Have a great day.
0: Jamf is the industry leader in best-of-breed Apple-first solutions to manage and secure devices at work. Jamf solutions are designed by in-house developers with the Apple ecosystem in mind to be managed under one platform designed to work together. Trusted access by Jamf is a complete security solution for the modern organization. Trusted access ensures that only trusted users on enrolled and safe devices can access company data. This dramatically increases the security of your workplace and simplifies work for your users. The Jamf platform allows your users to feel empowered and productive while also maintaining the highest levels of protection for your devices and sensitive company data, regardless of where work happens. With Jamf, enhanced security does not come at the expense of user experience. Find out more by visiting jamf.com, that's J-A-M-F.com. So James, I know you got stuck into even more with Larry Whiteside, who was able to add some of the human element into today's discussion, something that's always high on his agenda and kind of needs to appear in any review of the year for cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And as always, it's, it's a great pleasure to to talk to Larry and, and listen to his insights. I feel like he's someone who's he's got a great kind of a natural ability to sort of cut to the chase and and give real world insights on cyber security. Uh, so someone who's very well respected in the field. So yeah, in that conversation, I asked him about what the most significant trends, cyber threat trends, and challenges for organisations in 2022. And as you mentioned um, in diversity as well, which is a topic he's he's particularly passionate about. Let's take a listen. Hi, Larry. Thank you very much for chatting to us for the final Into Security podcast episode of the year. I really want to get your reflections on some of the trends and lessons that we can learn from 2022. Um, So if I could start by asking you, what what have been the most significant cyber threat trends you've observed this year? And have any activities or, or techniques being used surprised
4: you in any way? You know, so I don't think there's anything that that, that from a cyber threat trend, right? I I will say the number of um, spam emails, the number of social engineering emails that, like, I've been in this, you know, industry for a long time. I like to call it a game, um, but uh, being an athlete, (laughs) but it's been a while. And I think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, where You know, when you would go to like Black Hat, they had a social engineering contest and and social engineering was huge. And it seemed to sort of take a nosedive there for a few years. But literally right now, think about all of the hacks that are coming in via email. It's all social engineering. Every aspect of email phishing is basically the new social engineering. Right. Whether it's you want a prize whether it is, hey, your credit card bill is due, hey, like whatever it is, it's it's the new form of social engineering. And, and I will say that the growth in that is just surprising me because I thought that people got smarter, right? I, I literally thought that, you know, from a understanding standpoint, we've been putting so much Effort into you know cybersecurity awareness training. We have got you know cybersecurity awareness month, and we we talk about it, and we're educating people. And we talk about these things all the time, and yet people are clicking on dumb emails because they've been social engineered. I can't tell how many private stories I've had with CISOs who had somebody go buy a bunch of gift cards because you know someone got an email from the CEO, right? Um, it, it's just been really interesting to see that trend. And so what I think a lot of c have realized is that it's not education anymore, right? And we, we've passed the point of just, of just educating people. Um, we, we've got to go back and look at some other tactics as it relates to how do we protect our end users from themselves, so to speak. And there's a number of different things. Identity has become a huge thing. Um, Zero trust has become a huge thing, right, where where based on, you know, a number of different criteria, we're going to ask for more credentials uh, and more authentication in order for you to get to more and more critical data and applications. And so we've got a number of other mechanisms that we're starting to say, hey, right, in order for um, our users to really be able to do things, we've got to put, this other aspect of umbrella protections around them to protect them from themselves.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that we're hearing a lot of experts talk about, the uh, social engineering techniques sadly becoming more sophisticated and more targeted um, which is making it more difficult for people to detect I also wanted to ask you, obviously, um, perhaps building on your first answer, um, what have been the biggest cybersecurity challenges for organizations this year and also the lessons that you think they can take into 2023?
4: Yeah, so, you know, um, ransomware is still on the rise and and, and payouts are still going up. And, and so I think people are still challenged with the entire aspect of Ransomware slash malware slash incident response and and recovery, right? That that entire um, that entire circle of life as relates to identifying that you got hacked in a timely manner, right? That that something happened, identifying what happened, and then that recovery process from it, whether it's paying and getting keys back, and that we've had that whole dichotomy of to pay or not to pay, right? What does that mean? You've got you've got countries who are basically saying you can't pay. U.S. thought about going down that path. Some states are thinking about going down that path. Or do you pay? Um, you know, that's, that's jumping into cyber insurance. What does that cover? And so, it's that that's still um, a huge hurdle that the industry deals with, right? And so, you know, getting to meantime to detection to meantime to remediation, right? And and I was literally having a conversation last night. Of of saying one ten sixty, which is a a new model that a number of CISOs were talking about as relates to identify something's happened within one minute, identify how it happened within ten minutes, and then remediate within sixty. And I was like, whoa! Like I, I had never heard that before. But a number of CISOs we were talking about it last night, and it's it's a topic now. And when I think about what that means, and when I look at the number that relates to ransomware still you know, going crazy, um, and the amount of ransomware that's still happening, I, I, I love the idea of it, but I, I don't know how possible it is uh, to achieve. Now, I, I get that as leaders, we should set goals for our organizations to achieve, um, but you know, we also have this aspect of attainable goals, right? Like, is are these things attainable? So the ransomware growth um, and still the the inability for organizations to really handle and manage and and uh, get back to, the, the, I'll say IR, right? It really comes down to um, how prepared is an organization to respond to an incident. You're, you're measured by your ability to respond or, or not respond. And I think a lot of people... Still struggling with that, which leads me to the last piece, which is um, I was having this conversation last night um around governance, right? And so when you think about the industry of cybersecurity, it's it's wildly technical on one end and then wildly not technical on the other end. And that other end is is typically the governance piece where where sometimes auditors or, or many organizations have uh, you know, some sort of governance and compliance function. And I call that that role and that function and that group the, the bastard self children of our industry. But yet I think that they are now about to start getting their limelight because if you look at everything that is going on, right, whether it be ransomware, whether it be um, end user threats impacting them. If organizations had good governance, risk, and compliance programs in place where they were identifying risk, categorizing them based on criticality of data, aligning them to controls, you really could focus on the things that were going to most negatively impact your organization. And then the other things could be little ancillary things that don't make as big a deal. There's so much. I mean, I could go on a diatribe about about so many things, right? We've got third-party risk. Um, but a, a lot of this just really aligns back to what's the governance strategy of an organization and how uh, do they ensure that they are holding themselves accountable, third parties accountable. Like, yeah, there's a lot. I could, I, I don't want to take up the whole podcast talking about all these things because each one could be its own hour conversation.
1: No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right to focus focus on that governance issue, Larry. And uh, yeah, it'll be something would will be fascinating to keep an eye on next year. On a slightly different tack, um, obviously as someone who's is president of the, the non-profit organisation Cyversity and, and someone who's heavily involved in diversity initiatives in the industry, do you believe that the sector cybersecurity industry has made progress in terms of improving its diversity this year? And what of initiatives would you like to see more of in in 2023 in in this area?
4: Yeah, so I I will say that I do believe the industry as a whole has gotten better. It's interesting, though, an area where we've gotten better is not one I expected. So there have been, and so I'll break this up a little bit. So on the sales side of cybersecurity, which is an industry that that a lot of people, or I should say, a component of our industry that not a lot of people think about, right? When you think about cybersecurity, you think about uh, uh, corporate, you know, cybersecurity, you think about the, sometimes you think about the technology companies, right, in cybersecurity, but there's a a huge group of people in sales in cybersecurity, right? A, A huge, right? Every tech company that is selling cyber has a a global team of sales people. I have seen more women hired in that than anything like that. The number of women going into sales in cybersecurity has grown massively. Now on the corporate side, it's grown, but not at the rate that we would like it to. Uh, and that goes for both women and diverse uh, people with diverse backgrounds. Now, has it grown? Yes. Um, are we thankful for you know some of the hiring and some of the numbers that we're seeing? Yes. Could it be better? Yes. And and what I see going in 2023 is for organizations to begin to recognize the barriers that they have in place in their specific organization to hiring diversity. And what I mean by that is, a lot of organizations are still um, utilizing old mechanisms to try and still hire in this new age, meaning they're asking for a CISSP for an entry-level job. Well, those two things are diametrically opposed. CISSP requires five years. An entry-level job is is zero to one year's experience, so you can't have both. And, and it comes down to looking at the job descriptions, looking at What's important in the role? Are, do you really need someone who has who is trained on every single tool set that you have in in that team? or are you looking for someone with a curious mindset that you can put through some cognitive testing as part of the hiring process to show that they have an aptitude for what it is you want them to do, and then you're willing to train them. And with that and with you training them, maybe you put some sort of cliff in place, meaning, hey, if we send you to these trainings, you will, you know, you've got to sign a contract that you'll be here for two years or something to that nature, right? We we unfortunately are still dealing with a lot of organizations who are putting job descriptions out that have so many barriers and so many hurdles in them that diverse candidates who are either trying to enter the field um, for the first time or are transitioning from another career field, they can't meet it. So all the conversations around what certification do I get? What certification can I get? I need a certification. I need a certification. And and, and in conversations I've had with the CEOs of these certification companies, they all agreed with me that certifications were never meant to be the barrier that they've become for entry into roles. They were meant to be something that showed – an aptitude that a person had to be able to accomplish something. But now there are so many certifications, and when you think about it, certifications cost money. So how is a person who's trying to enter the industry who comes from a different socioeconomic background won't you pay for the certifications to get into the industry because certifications cost money? Right. And so we've got this really tough dichotomy that we need to deal with as an industry and I I want more companies as we go forward to recognize it because first off once you recognize that you as an organization are doing something that is being detrimental to your own hiring practices I would hope that then they would change it so that's my that's my big hope for how things move in 2023.
1: That's really fascinating stuff, Larry, and good to hear there is some, some improvements being made in, in terms of diversity this year. Some real food for thought in regard to recruitment and, and retention strategies, definitely. Just finally, I also want to ask you, um, amid obviously a lot of economic turbulence in the world, um, what advice would you have for organisations to to sort of maintain a strong cybersecurity posture next year, as with many people expecting the economic situation to to worsen and budgets to tighten potentially
4: yeah so so going into next year as money starts to get tightened and every organization is asked to tighten their belt and and look at how they spend it really comes down to governance and risk right we've been in this mode of buying and buying and buying more operational security technology right buying more things to stop buying more things to detect buying more things to block buying more things to right um, because we focus so much on this protect and detect uh, uh, phase, we, we lost visibility and sight of the importance of governance, right? Governance and risk really should be the determining factor on where you spend your resources, and that's time and money, right? So meaning where do your people spend their time and where do you spend money, either, either uh, implementing new technologies uh, hiring more people, whatever that is, as it relates to money. And so, as your money dries up, you just—it's—we've got to manage it like we manage our home budgets, right? Uh, when things get tight at home, you you cut back and you focus on the things that are important to your family, right? Well, it's the same thing. The problem is, is, is from a risk standpoint. And from a governance standpoint, uh, a lot of organizations haven't really used those muscles well. Those muscles for governance and risk have just been used, okay, I need a report for auditors. We do that once a year. Now we're done with that, and I'm going back to this operational stuff, right? Oh, wait, I got to do a report for the board. All right, I'm, let's do some governance things real quick. Let me generate that report. All right, I spoke to the board the one time this year, all right, now I need to go back to these operational things. And not saying that the blocking and tackling is not important, right? Those that We still don't do those things great. If you look at the Verizon Data Breach, uh, the DBIR, the, the report shows, right, we're still not patching appropriately. We're still not, you know, keeping software up to date, right? A lot of those things are still happening. And that's happening both in, you know, our organization and third parties and fourth parties that we're integrating with. Um, but it comes back to just identifying, based on your organization, based on the industry you're in, based on the data that's important to you, based on the criticality of your systems, what is most important from a risk standpoint that's going to negatively impact your company uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint? And that comes through governance and risk, governance across controls, governance of, of all of these different things that you are and are not doing, right, tied to risk. It's it sounds simple and it is more simple than a lot of people think, but it's just not things. if you think about where this industry came from, it's not things that we've just historically done well and it's not it's not the fun stuff, right? It's not the, you know threat hunting. it's not the you know doing all these things where we're looking for the bad guy. Um, and it's not sexy. But I think that's what's going to have to happen if organizations want to be able to utilize the resources that they have to the best of their ability.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's another area I think where, like you say, organo- um, security teams are going to going to have to continue to adapt as they have been the last last few years. Um, but yeah, th- thank you so much for your time, Larry. It was fantastic getting your perspective on on the trends that you've seen this year and and what what we're going to see into next year um but yeah have a have a fantastic christmas and new year
4: great thank you i appreciate it
0: well that was really great to hear from larry um, a lot to consider as we reflect on 2022 uh, kevin i know you had a uh, pre-listen ahead of us recording today so was there anything that particularly stood out to you that larry spoke about
2: yeah, I really like the point that Larry made on on diversity and recruitment. The fact that the cybersecurity industry is doing better, but could still do much better than it's doing now, was no surprise. But his view on how cybersecurity businesses needed to change the way they hire people in order to encourage diversity is very enlightening to me, something I, I see quite often on, on my LinkedIn uh, timeline with people trying to get into cybersecurity jobs and being asked to uh, see CISSP or other certifications that are very, very either difficult to get or that needs uh, a certain level of, of experience and people ask them these kind of certifications. For entry-level jobs, for entry-level positions, so so I c- it definitely resonate with uh, with my experience of being online and and seeing people from the cybersecurity community. The joke I often see on my timeline shows a, a required experience of say five years on a programming language or a security framework. That's been created just three years ago. So five years of five years of experience on something that's just three years old is is just a, it's it's like the funny the funny joke that runs around to the cybersecurity community. And and I think as as cybersecurity is a quick evolving domain with a big skill shortage, I kind of agree with Larry that efforts needed need to be made on allowing more people outside of the cyber bubble to retrain and to to and be given cybersecurity responsibilities. And that it would most likely encourage diversity, not just in sales, as he says, but also in more technical roles as well. Uh, James, what do you think about that? Yeah, complete, completely
1: agree with what you said. Um, yeah, a, a, a massive aspect of closing the, the cyber skills gap is is reducing those unrealistic expectations, as you mentioned, on entry level candidates and, and sort of perhaps going down the pathway of more training on the job and after all, cybersecurity is a field that's always evolving, and professionals always having to retrain and learn new skills anyway. Um, and another point that obviously Larry made was that the demands for expensive qualifications for for first time candidates is is preventing a lot of people from diverse backgrounds from entering the sector due to not being able to pay for those costs. So, uh, yeah, I really I hope this is an area that organisations are starting to take a look at and and change the way they approach their cybersecurity recruitment going forward.
0: Yeah, and what I really want to see is more about the solutions to the problem rather than just talking about the problem. So from my point of view, I feel like we all are fully aware of the challenges the cybersecurity skills gap pose. um, And it'll be interesting to see in 2023 how initiatives develop, what organizations do start doing practically, rather than just talking about the problem itself all the time. So It's definitely one to watch and it's nice to kind of finish this episode of the podcast on the human element. We started off with talking about cyber extortion, the industries that are targeted and obviously that issue of nation state uh, threat actors. So we've kind of covered the whole gambit of 2022 and um, a little bit of advice from our expert speakers on how to approach 2023. So I hope this um, edition of the podcast has given our listeners some pause for thought about cyber security and the year that was. Um, so thank you, James and Kevin, for chatting with me today. And thank you to Aaron from Jamf and Larry Whiteside for taking the time out to reflect on 2022 with us. And to our listeners, we wish you all well as you head into 2023. Enjoy the holiday season. And we will, of course, be back in January. And in the meantime, if you do want to hear more podcasts, InfoSecurity news, join any of our webinars, or get in touch with the team, head to the InfoSecurity magazine website. But until next time, that's goodbye.
2: Goodbye. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast was sponsored by Jamf. Jamf helps you manage and secure Apple devices so your users can work from anywhere at any time, empowering your workforce and helping your business succeed. Find out more by visiting jamf.com. That's J-A-M-F dot
1: Thanks for listening to Into Security. For in-depth interviews with the industry's finest minds, check out our sister podcast, Into Security Chats, And join us again next month. Until then, stay safe and keep up to date with everything you need to know about information security via infosecurity-magazine.com.